Why don't we open our Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Um, before we read from the text here, uh, I think I've said this, I said this the last time I, I preached here at Bethany Community. If you're visiting here, I'm sorry. Um, I, I've been where you are. You, you come to visit a church to kind of see what the normal Sunday is like, only to find out that the senior pastor's on vacation and one of the associates is preaching. Um, so I'm sorry, I, I've, I've been where you are. Uh, I trust that the Lord uh, will still speak this morning. It's not the preacher that brings forth the word. It, it's God who speaks uh, through his word. So I'm, I'm grateful for that uh, this morning. If you're a regular around here, uh, I think this is the same shirt I wore the last time I preached. So I think this is my lucky preaching shirt now that I'll have to wear every time. Uh, we don't record our, our, our services yet in video, um, so I don't have any proof that this is the shirt I wore last time. We do record audio, though, to, to post the sermons on, on our website. Um, and so maybe for those who are listening online right now, the thousands, maybe millions of people that will download this sermon online, let me describe for you the shirt I'm wearing. It's a blue and white striped shirt, and it goes wonderful with my full head of blonde hair. We won't tell the audio people what that means. Um, well, you know, it is on Sundays like this, and I'm grateful for Pastor Daniel. After I prepare for a sermon, I'm grateful for Pastor Daniel and his, his passion uh, for the preaching ministry. But, you know, I'm thankful, too, for a church that really does demand that God's word be brought forth on a Sunday morning. And so let, let's pray together uh, before we read the text that, that God would uh, speak to us through his word and we'd receive it with gladness. So, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to, uh, to teach your word here. I pray that I would decrease here and, and you would increase, that your word would describe you in all of your splendor and all of your glory, uh, and that as a result of this time this morning, God, that we would see you all the more as a God worthy to be worshipped. God, we come into this theater today, uh, many of us dealing with hard issues in our lives, uh, struggling with sin, struggling with the circumstances around us. But God, I, I pray that today that we would leave changed. God, I pray that we'd have the expectation that your Holy Spirit can work in our hearts this morning as we look at your scripture and we trust and expect that you can change us today. Lord, that's the cry of my heart, that you would change me, that you would change us this day as we look at your holy word. Help those things that we could be thinking about to be put on hold so that we can clearly hear from you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to play a little bit of word association with you here. Okay, I, I, uh, I practice this with my family, so I'll tell you their answers here in just a moment. You know, word association. I say a word, then you say a word that first leaps to your mind as you consider the word I've said. Okay, so I won't ask, ask you to actually say it out loud. First of all, I wouldn't be able to understand any of you if you all said it at once. And second of all, you might be embarrassed to say what you, you would say if, if uh, someone next to you hears you. Okay, so you ready? Just say it in your mind as I say it. Okay, so um, uh, dog is your word there. Uh, lawnmower. God. Obedience. Okay, let me stop there. Okay, I, I did the similar thing with my family. And, and uh, for my kids, I had to kind of explain what word association meant. And, and when I got to the word obedience, uh, here were some of the responses I get. I'll let you decide who said what. Um, I got faith, uh, obey, 
spanking, <laughs> disobedience. Okay, so you see we have some work to do in our household as far as uh, training our, our, our family to think well about o- obedience. And I, I don't know what came to your mind as, as I said the word obedience. Um, far too often in the church today, I think uh, words that can come to our mind, we think of obedience are, are drudgery, uh, legalism, uh, hard, or, or bottom line, just no fun. Obedience means no fun. So let's say I expanded Let's say I expanded this game to say, give me a phrase that comes to your mind when I say this phrase. Obedience in the midst of trial and testing. Obedience in the midst of trial and testing. Again, I think far too often in our churches today, we we think not possible. No way. (laughs) Unrealistic expectation. I shouldn't bother. That's not even a fair thing to ask of someone who's a believer in Christ to obey in the midst of testing and trial. Now, maybe you didn't answer that way today as we did our little exercise, but have you had those days where maybe you've had those thoughts uh, where your answers were much like what I just said? Why is that? Why, why do we think of obedience and even specifically obedience in the midst of testing and trials in such a negative way? Well, I, I think our problem is theological, first of all. Our orthodoxy is off. We have a wrong view of who God is, potentially. I think in addition, our application of who God is to our lives is off. So our orthodoxy affects our orthopraxy, the application of who God is to our lives. In the midst of of trials and testings, we fail to see God as our loving provider. And so in light of that, we don't respond in a way that pleases him. Let me say that again. In the midst of testing and trial, we fail to see God as our loving provider. And so in the midst of those hard things, we don't respond in a way that pleases the Lord. We don't respond in obedience. We say things like, God, I am going through so much right now, and yet you expect me to live with my spouse who treats me like that? God, I am going through so much right now, and you expect me to lead my family in devotions and point them towards the scripture? God, I'm going through so much right now, especially at work, and when I come home, I need some me time. We fail to see God as Jehovah Jireh. And if there's one thing you're going to remember today, remember this. God is a provider. God is a provider, and he blesses And he blesses his obedient, faith-filled children in the midst of testing and trial. God is a provider, and he blesses his obedient, faith-filled children in the midst of tests and trial. Let's read a passage of Scripture together here that says this very thing. If your Bibles are open to Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19, uh, it's our custom here to stand as, as we read from God's Word. So would you stand with me as we read Genesis 22, starting in in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. 
And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and, and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they both, and, and so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord came to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay a hand on, your son, on, your, on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, and is said unto this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned his, to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. You can have a seat. We trust that God will speak to us today through his word. In this passage, we see a man that was under incredible testing and trial, don't we? And yet he responds in faith-filled obedience. I believe there's two realities, two realities that we can glean from this text that will help us respond in, in a way that pleases God when we're under trial. And the first is this, and it's simple. God calls his people to faith-filled obedience. God calls his people to faith-filled obedience. Now, God gives Abraham an incredibly challenging command, doesn't he? Verse 2 says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now some commands of God, at least on the surface level, uh, seem to be a little bit easier to keep, don't they? Um, even some of the biggies, right? Thou shalt not steal. Uh, do not use the Lord's name in vain. They seem a little more easy on the surface level to keep. Uh, maybe it's because of uh, social pressures or it's just the law of the land that we don't do those things or maybe just out of, out of pride. We, I don't want to get caught doing those things, so surely I'm not going to do those, those things. But at least on the surface level, there are many of God's commands that at least seem easy to keep. This one's a little bit more of a challenge, isn't it? Not just a challenge, but, but quite possibly outrageous, right? God, first of all, this is awkward here. You're asking Abraham to kill his son, okay? To kill his son, really? That's the command that you're giving here? 
Um, look at the language God uses here. Your son, your only son, Isaac, you know, the one whom you love. In this passage, 19 verses, the word son's used 12 different times. The word boy or really teenager is used two times. So you see here that, that God's really helping Abraham feel the weight of this command. Your son, your only son, Isaac, the one whom you love, helps us as the reader to see that deep connection between father and son. Consider the thoughts that Abraham could have had here, right? God, my, my wife and I waited so long to have a son together. I was 100 years old when this boy was born. I remember the first time he walked. I, I remember the first time he said a word. I, I don't know. I remember the first time he rode a donkey. Uh, all these memories could have been flooding into Abraham's mind. Uh, Isaac's a teenager here. Thousands upon thousands of memories could be flooding into Abraham's mind. Now the impact of of this command is, I think, compounded in the life of a father, right? I, I have four children. Um, I remember holding each of those four children for the first time. Uh, Avery, our firstborn, when these little fingers and little toes there in the hospital, just amazed. And Cade came along, our second son, and holding him in the hospital. And then, and then our first girl, little Adeline Ruth, was born. And boy, how do you how do you father a girl? I remember thinking, <laughs> I'm used to boys around here, but we were happy to have Addie. And then, and then going to the orphanage in Ethiopia and, and holding Sadie for the first time, her wondering, who the heck are you? Uh, and as we, we gathered her in and, and she, tears coming down her eyes, I think out of fear, and tears coming out of our eyes, just out of joy for the first time meeting our, our second daughter. You know, so we, we, it's compounded as a parent as we think about those, those memories. It was Abraham's son, your only son, the one whom you love. Now, on top of this, God had already told Abraham that he was going to make him into a great nation. Uh, turn back, would you, to, to Genesis 12. Keep your finger in Genesis 22, but turn, turn back to Genesis 12, where we see God making this covenant with a Abraham, then Abram, uh, for the first time, telling Abraham, I'm going to make you into great nations. In Genesis 12, Verses, we'll just read one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now if I have this right, God told Abraham uh, four times before we get to Genesis 22, he, he tells him of this covenant or reminds him of this covenant, reminds him of this blessing and, and what he's going to do here through Abraham. In fact, so that I just read one of those four. Let me take you to another one of those, those four, Genesis 17. Uh, go to Genesis 17 now, verses uh, 19 through 21. 17, 19 through 21. So this is another time. Now here, here God gets even more specific with Abraham and, and tells him even more details about this covenant that he was making with him. Uh, Genesis 17, 19 through tw 21. God said, no, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son and shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. 
he shall father 12 princes and I'll make him into a great nation, but, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So Abraham had this promise. Of course, God was going to bless the nations through Isaac. Now, if anyone had doubt to, uh, had, had reason to doubt God's goodness, it might have been Abraham. Right? God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Last week, uh, uh, Pastor Daniel spoke on doubt from the book of Luke, if you, if you were here. And he, he made a point of, of clarity that, that doubt is different than uncertainty or unbelief. One can be faith-filled in, in God's provision, but uncertain on how he will do it. Okay? So I think Abraham's response has him saying, God, I, I trust in your promise, but I might be a little uncertain on how you're going to provide here. But, but look, at how, look how Abraham responds. Look at verse 3. Go back to Genesis 22. Look, look at verse 3 there. Look how Abraham responds. After hearing these four reminders of how God was going to bless him, make great nations out of him, I'm going to have a covenant with you. In fact, I'm going to do it through your son Isaac. Abraham hears this command to offer Isaac a burnt offering. And what's he do in verse 3? So Abraham rose early in the morning. Now, if there was ever a time to hit the snooze button because you don't want to face what's going on later in that day, this was the time, right? I'm, this is the day I'm supposed to slaughter my son on the mountain that God provides and tells me to, and I'm going to sleep in this morning, right? But he doesn't do that. He rises early. It's interesting, though, maybe showing a little bit of uncertainty, not doubt, but uncertainty, that he does everything he can do before he cuts that wood. You notice that? He saddles the donkey. He, he gets the two other men to come with him, and then, and then he cuts the wood. But, but, but Abraham knew that he was being called to faithful obedience and the God who had already given him his promise. He understood who God was. And what's amazing to me is that Abraham was standing on the character of God, not even having the full revelation, not having the Old and the New Testament there for him, but still responding in a faith-filled obedience. Look at verse 5. He continues to say, he says to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. This forces us to look at Hebrews 11. You don't have to turn to it, but I'll read it to you. It's Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19. The hall of faith, the writer of Hebrews says this about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offering, uh, offspring be named. 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. See, Abraham considered that God can raise Isaac from the dead. He trusted in God's provision. Now we look at uh, verse 7 in Genesis 22, and we see Isaac asking a pretty fair question at this point, right? Uh, Dad, got a question for you here. I see the fire. I, I see the knife. I, I got the wood. Um, where, <laughs> where's the lamb? <laughs> Is there a lamb here for this burnt, burnt offering? And, and, and look how Abraham responds in verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. No certainty as to how. He considered he could raise him again from the dead, but certain of God's character. God had called him to faith-filled obedience, and God had proven his character to Abraham over and over again. Now, I think if we back up off of Abraham's life and, and look at 
our lives as believers, okay, God calls all of us to faith-filled obedience. And really what God calls us to is no different than what a mom or dad says to their children, okay? Let me give you an example of this. Casey and I were in campus ministry for, I think, 11 years or so. One of the things we really enjoyed about campus ministry is the opportunity to travel around the country, to, to meet people, to, to go across the world and, and, and uh, work with missions there. And there was this one family we met. They were from um, South Carolina. They were on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, Brian and Betsy were their names. And we met them really early on in our campus ministry days with Campus Crusade and, and uh, got to know them. I just love people with Southern accents. In fact, I just met someone in the back there with a Southern accent. I just love Southern ac- accents, you know, can't be it. They could read out a phone book and I'd listen to someone with a southern accent. But Brian and Betsy, just a sweet dear couple. We met them. We didn't have any kids. They didn't have any kids either. And then kind of over the course of those 11 years, we'd run into each other at conferences and mission opportunities. Um, and at that point, you know, we had children. And there was a time, I think we were entering into a restaurant. And Betsy was dealing with one of her children. And they weren't responding in a great way to, to her. And she said this, and I won't try to do a southern accent. That would just be horrible. But she said, um, remember, we obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Isn't that a great statement? When it comes to parenting our children, we desire for them, when we ask them to do something, to obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. And you may have heard Casey and I have adopted this into our own parenting. Um, why, why is that a, a great statement? Because God has entrusted Casey and I as shepherds over these children to shepherd them towards the Lord, right? And help, help shepherd them and train them towards a right perspective of who God is. Now, if God expects Abraham and expects us to obey right away, all the way with a happy heart, shouldn't I orientate my children towards that same premise that when I ask you to do something, I expect you to obey right away, all the way, with joy, with a happy heart? It's incredible calling for us as parents because how we shepherd and discipline our children largely affects their view of God. If, if we're legalists with our children, it's a good chance they're going to think God is a legalist. If we're too willy-nilly, let them get away with everything, it's a good, good chance that's how they're going to view God. This is probably another sermon for another day, isn't it? But God calls Abraham and all believers to faith-filled obedience, to obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Let me give you another example of faith-filled obedience. Have you ever rented the movie Luther? A great movie. I encourage you to, to rent that movie. Rent it tonight. Uh, it's, a, it's a great story of a, of a man of faith-filled obedience about Martin Luther. In, in 1507, Martin Luther was ordained as a, as a priest and later became professor at the University of, of Wittenberg. Now, uh, he always felt uh, in, in his time as a priest, as a professor, that God was just, just kind of disappointed in him that God was just really unhappy with him. He was troubled by this. And one day, he read Romans 117, where it says, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. See, up until that point, he thought he had to earn God's favor. He imagined the joy in Luther's soul. Maybe he read over that passage many times before, but God, in his great mercy, through the power of the Spirit, quickened his, his mind and his heart to understand, wait a minute, I've got this all wrong. 
I don't have to earn favor from God for all my good works. It's by faith. I earn favor by just trusting in him, trusting in his son Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. Luther was excited. His teachings and writings spread like wildfire over the country of Germany. So much so that it began to get attention. Attention from people that didn't agree with Luther that said, no, hey, hey, you need to relax with this whole by faith thing. I understand you're excited about it. But we have things the way we do things here in the church. Got so much attention that actually he was called uh, to a meeting at the Diet of Worms. That's not a new uh, uh, diet we should try. It's actually, diet means gathering. The gathering at Worms, south of Frankfurt in Germany, where he was before uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, Emperor Charles V and many, many powerful people. He stood there really with a lot to lose, possibly his life, possibly being burned at the stake. And after taking a night to think about what he'd say, he said this, unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures or by evident reason, for I can believe neither Pope nor councils alone, as it is clear that they have erred repeatedly and contradicted themselves. I consider myself convicted by the testimony of the Holy Scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. Thus I cannot and will not recant, because acting against one's conscience is neither safe nor sound. God help me. Amen. It's been said that Luther, Luther then stated, Here I stand. I can do no other. When questioned, intimidated, asked to recant on his teaching that salvation is through faith by grace alone, he responded with faith-filled obedience. Well, we want to be careful here, right? Because faith-filled obedience doesn't have to be on this grand scale of, of Genesis 22 or this, this grand scale of Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms. We probably are guilty a little bit of deifying Abraham, aren't we? Wow, he was really a man of faith. Look at the incredible faith that Martin Luther showed. Let me tell you something. They're just guys. <laughs> They're just people like you and me. Just men. Just men. We see that Abraham had struggles, right? We, we see it earlier in Genesis and throughout, throughout the scripture that Abraham had some issues, right? Now, can you imagine having your struggles written in Holy Scripture for all of eternity. Praise the Lord, that's not true of me, right? But Abraham had some struggles, right? He was a man just like you and me. Because listen, faith-filled obedience is 1 Peter 3, 7, living with your wife in an understanding way. It's a man that's obeying that right away, all the way, with a happy heart. God's not standing up there saying, okay, guys, live with your wife in an understanding way. One, two, don't make me get to three. Okay, before we even get to one, we've, we're already in disobedience. Faith-filled obedience is responding right away, all the way, with a happy heart. God doesn't count to three. Faith-filled obedience is loving your neighbor as yourself. Faith-filled obedience is training up your children. Faith-filled obedience is, is taking the gospel to your family, to your neighborhood, to the nations for God's glory. It's being active and, and caring for the widow and caring for the orphan. And you might be saying, Ben, I get it. I need to be full of faith when God, uh, that, that God's call in our lives and the scripture's directive will is more important 
to my selfish desires, where do I start? Let me just give you this, this application. Just pick one. If you're like me, you've got multiple areas in your life that you're not moving forward in faith-filled obedience as you look at God's directive well. Let me encourage you, just pick one. Just do something. Hear the call of the Father that says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is that thing? What's that area that you have struggled to walk in obedience? Identify that area. Move forward in faith. Study passages about God's provision. Lock arms with someone here at Bethany Community as you, uh, to, to encourage you along the way. Don't wait. Move on this today. Obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. I was reminded of a song this week written by Keith Getty and Stuart Townsend. It says this, Hear the call of the kingdom to be children of light with the mercy of heaven, the humility of Christ, walking, walking justly before him, loving all that is right, that the life of Christ might shine through us. King of heaven, we will answer the call. We will follow, bringing hope to the world filled with passion, filled with the power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name. This song screams out, I know who God is. He's my provider. He's the one who blesses. He's full of mercy. He went to the cross. Therefore, I will follow in faith-filled obedience. So, so far we've been looking at God, how, how God calls his people to faithful obedience. Let's look at the second reality from Genesis 22. God always provides and blesses in his own way. God always provides and blesses in his own way. Let's go back to verse 11 in Genesis 22. It says this, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. This is the climax of the passage, right? We have Abraham, knife raised, ready, considering maybe God will allow Isaac to be raised from the dead if I have to slaughter him. And the angel of the Lord calls out and tells him to stop. The language here from the angel is interesting, isn't it? As he proclaims God's revelation here. Do not lay your hand on him. I know that you fear God, seeing that you not withheld your son your only son from me. And then Abraham lifts his eyes, Scripture says, right? He lifts his eyes, and what's he see? He sees a ram. He sees a substitute for Isaac. Now, if you look back at verse 4, we see the other time that Abraham lifted his eyes in this passage, right? As he's approaching the place where this was going to happen, he lifted his eyes, and he thought, there's the place. There's the place where God has commanded me to slaughter my son. And now he lifts his eyes again. He sees, I'm sure, tears streaming out. He sees a substitute. God provides a substitute. One commentator says the, the issue was whether or not Abraham would sacrifice the son of promise, the son he loved in response to God's word. This test shows the kind of devotion that Abraham had towards God. It's a recognition that God will provide in his own way. Now, it's been said there's potential that Isaac had become a, an idol in Abraham's life, had become more important than God in his life. Now, last week when our, our care group met, we discussed that sermon I mentioned earlier that Pastor Daniel gave about, about doubt. And uh, in our care groups, we're discussing the, the sermon. We have these sermon-based questions that we, we look at. And one of the questions was this, what are some of the things that cause doubt? 
What are some of the things that could happen in your life that you would, might, might cause you to doubt God's goodness? And, uh, you know, for, I, I went first. I just said, you know, I, I can't imagine losing a, one of my children. You know, the natural birth order being, being mixed up. And I said, okay, what are some other things that, that might cause us to doubt? And, and there was really silence for a while. And I, I don't know exactly what's going on in everybody's mind. But for me, I was just pondering that thought kind of sat there in a little bit of a stunned silence of what if one of my children were taken what if that that happened my flesh wanted to cry out god those children are mine don't you dare take them away from me you get your hands off my kids and i saw this idol in my life John Piper speaks to this, and let me warn you, what I'm about to read is a little bit graphic, okay? I don't share it just to get attention, but I think it helps drive this point home that God provides in his own way. We put idols in the way of us believing that God can provide and bless in his own way. Piper says this, he says, I'll tell you what makes Jesus look beautiful. It's when you smash your car and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and lands dead on the street and you say to the deepest possible pain, God is enough. God is enough. He is good. He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you? On earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart and my little girl may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That makes God look glorious as God not as giver of cars or safety or health. Oh, how I pray that the Christian church would be marked by suffering for Christ. God is most glorified in you and you are most satisfied in him in the midst of loss, not in the midst of prosperity. My flesh and my heart and my little girl may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Job knew that God provides in his own way, didn't he? There's a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. God and Satan have this divine conversation. God says, have you considered my servant Job? Satan says, yes course he's a worshiper of you look all the things you blessed him with he says okay i'll give those things into your hand the oxen were plowing the donkeys were feeding besides them this group came and took them all and wiped out the servants fire came down and burned up the sheep and the servants with them the raid on the camels took them and struck down the servants the sons and daughters were eating in a home the roof caved in the walls collapsed all 10 children killed then job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Read that again. He tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell on, his gro- on the ground and he worshiped. And he worshiped. And then verse 22 In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In some of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Most of the time, Job didn't sin as a response to this or charge God with wrong. No, what's it say? In 
all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Sometimes the ram isn't provided for us, is it? Sometimes we have to go through incredible pain. And we see our true colors, how we have elevated the gift above the giver. God is the provider, and he blesses. He blesses his obedient, faith-filled children in the midst of tests and trial. Sometimes we fail to see that, don't we? We fail to see God as our loving provider, so we don't respond in a way that pleases him. Now, we can't end there today, right? We can't end there. Did you catch it, right? You caught it, didn't you? Abraham lifted his eyes, and what's he see there? A substitute. Isaac was headed towards death, and God provides a substitute. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, we are headed towards death as well. But thankfully, Romans 3.23 doesn't end there. But the free gift of God, but the free gift of God, the discovery that Martin Luther made in 1507, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God has provided a substitute for us so that we no longer have to pay that penalty of sin ourselves. But he sent the glorious one. He sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him, gave him, up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things and provide in his own way? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my, uh, boy, I emotional this morning as I, th- I think about the realities of the idols of my heart. God, I am guilty of elevating the gift above the giver. Lord, help us to respond in a way that's going to bring honor to you. As we ponder Genesis 22, thank you for this passage of scripture, this age-old ancient words that are ever true for us today and applicable for us today. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.